We'll take our text this morning from just one verse from the scripture reading. John verse eight, chapter 18, verse 38. We'll look at just one part of that verse. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? That's an age-old question. Pilate wasn't the first one to ask that question. He won't be the last one to ask that question. There may be those here even this morning who are asking the very same thing. What is truth? Well, we can turn to Webster's. They give us a couple definitions of truth. Truth is a statement based upon facts. Truth is something proven and tested over time. We've heard of something referred to as a time-honored truth. Truth is actual existence conforming with facts. Truth is something that holds up under scrutiny and questioning. If you take those definitions alone and compare God's Word, God's Word meets all that criteria. We also know the Word of God tells us in Isaiah 59, 14, truth is a, a precious commodity. We can see it's in very short supply and ask the question or mentions that there'll be a time when truth has fallen in the streets. Certainly we could say that would be the time we're living in. What is truth? You know, I think to understand that question, sometimes it's good to understand what truth is not. Truth is not changeable. You can't alter or change the facts. An absolute truth will remain an absolute truth. What is tested to be true today will be proven to be true tomorrow and the day after that and the day following. We know there's certain uh, laws of mathematics and nature and physical laws that are unchangeable. You know, a banana will always remain a banana. It doesn't morph into some other type of fruit. A square will always be a square. A circle will always be a circle. You won't find a square circle or a round square. It's just not possible. These are absolute truths that don't change. God's Word is absolutely true. God's Word does not change. No matter how hard man may try to change it, no matter how hard man may try to redefine it, God's word never changes. God uh, testifies of himself in his word. He says, I am the Lord God and I change not. Psalm 119, 89, the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word doesn't change. It's an absolute truth. You know, there are those that would go as far as to say God's not bound by His Word. Or somehow God is above His written Word. That is absolutely false. That is not the truth. God in His Word binds Himself to His Word. We know when He gave uh, Abraham that covenant, it said when He could swear by no greater, He swore by Himself. God will not break His covenant. God won't break His promises. You know, God will not go above or outside of His Word, and God will not make exceptions to His Word to accommodate somebody's lifestyle. He won't do it. God's Word is forever settled in heaven. 
You know, the Word of God gives us warnings against those who would try to change the truth of God's Word. We look in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That is a warning to those who would take God's Word and change it to make it an allowance for sin. It says the wrath of heaven is stored up against those that would do such a thing. So we know it's very dangerous to tamper with God's Word. Again, verse 25 of the same chapter says, speaking of those who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. And as you read down that list, you see the debauchery and the horrible things that mankind falls into when he rejects the truth. And finally, verse 32 of that chapter says, "...who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them." Those that change the truth. It says the judgment of God will be against them. They willingly, knowingly do it. But you see how dangerous it is to start down that road of rejecting the truth. So we want to embrace the truth. We want to love the truth. You know, the truth is not what we want it to be or whatever works. Or those situational ethics or this pragmatic view of the truth that somehow uh, the ends kind of justify the means. You know, lying is okay if it yields a more favorable result. People live that way. That's not the truth. Does it change the truth? The facts are still the facts. Psalm 15 forces, The Lord honoreth those that fear Him, that swear to their own hurt and change not. Even when embracing the truth may be uncomfortable at times, may be cost us something, it's better to embrace the truth. God honors those that fear Him and keep the truth, even to their own hurt. Truth is not what makes people feel good. You know, a harmful truth is better than a useful lie. If a man were to go to the doctor and the doctor examined the man and found out he had cancer, he might think, well, that's going to be bad news. It might upset him, so... What if that doctor said, you know, it's just a little stomach flu or something. Take a couple aspirin, you should be fine. That would be crazy. That could lead to that man's death. So we knew sometimes the truth isn't pleasant, but you know the Bible says it's the truth that will make us free. So the truth is not what just makes people feel good. Jesus didn't tell people things just to make them feel good. Think about that rich young ruler. It says he came to Jesus running. And he wanted to know, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Says Jesus, looking at all this man, he loved him. But you know what? He loved him enough to tell him the truth. He didn't uh, want to tell him anything else. And he says, one thing you lack. Go, sell that you have. Take up your cross and follow me. You'll have treasures in heaven. Says that man went away sorrowful because he refused to face the truth. But you know what? Jesus wasn't concerned in sparing his feelings. Jesus wanted to save his soul. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to save people's souls. And until we admit that we're sinners and we have a need of the Lord, God can't do anything for us. So we need to face the truth. That young man said he went away sorrowful 
You know, the Lord would rather make us holy than happy. Sometimes that's a painful process. Sometimes it takes some truth, but God will help us. Nicodemus, again, ruler of the Jews, this religious man came to Jesus by night. And Jesus spoke five words, absolute truths. He says, you must be born again. That's the same truth that applies to every one of us today. You must be born again unless you repent and give up your sins, turn to the Lord, let the Lord save you. You won't have any part in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, that wasn't a truth just for Nicodemus. He said, except a man be born again. That means all of us, the same truth applies to us today. You know, truth is not what is publicly accepted. Majority rule does not mean something is true. You know, just because something is legal doesn't make it lawful, right, or true in God's sight. Remember, as a kid, sometimes I would come to my parents when I thought they were being unreasonable about something. I'd say, well, everybody else is doing it. You ever hear that? Maybe you've tried that on your own parents. And they probably gave me the standard parental answer. If your friends were jumping off a cliff, would you do it? Well, no, of course not. You know, just because somebody or many people are doing something does not make it right or true. Truth isn't defined by what the majority is doing. If you look in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Know know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. You look at the things listed there. Many of these things are the very things that society is glorifying today. Many of these things mentioned in this list have been legalized by many states in the U.S. Society and culture may say it's perfectly fine, but God's Word says anyone who has any part of these things won't have any part in the kingdom of heaven. Matter of fact, anyone who does any unrighteousness. So we see God's standard is high, but that truth does not change. Regardless of what our culture or our society does, God's Word always remains the same. The truth isn't what is simply believed. You know, a lie believed is still a lie. People still fall for the same old lie today. Adam and Eve fell for the lie. Satan came along and he said, Half God said. Put a little doubt in their mind. People still wonder, Half God said, does God's word really mean what it says? Or are there exceptions? No. God's word means exactly what it says. But people will fall for lie. Just believing something absolutely doesn't make it true. Truth is not defined by what is intended. You know, good intentions can still be wrong. You may know you need to be saved. You may know and believe in your mind that unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And you may have an intention of being saved someday. But you know what? That doesn't make you saved. Matter of fact, often good intentions can lead to procrastination, 
putting off what needs to be taken care of immediately. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. It says, Today is the day. Now is the accepted time. Don't intend to do something about the truth. Embrace the truth. Give your life to the Lord. If he's calling after you today, this may be your only opportunity. That's the truth. There are those that would say, there's no absolute truth. All truth is relative. Well, the moment a person says that, they've just contradicted themselves. They stated what they believe is an absolute truth, that there's no absolute truths. You know, these theories kind of crumble under the weight of their own foundation. There is absolute truth. Truth is not what we make it. A man who says there is no absolute truth, somebody said, what he's asking you to do is not to believe a word he says. And the best thing you can do is follow his advice because there is absolute truth. God's word is absolutely true. There's this other idea that somehow uh, all truth claims are equally valid. Well, again, that's nonsense. Can two claims be equally true? What if one claim says a woman is pregnant and with child, and another claim says, no, she's not pregnant, she's not carrying a child? Can both claims be true at the same time? Can a woman be pregnant and not be pregnant? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Absolute truth is absolute truth. There is no alternative. You know, we see two claims represented in the Garden of Eden. God said, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. Satan comes along and makes his own claim. He says, you won't die. If you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be just like God. Whose claim was true? God's claim was true. God's word will always be true. It trumps every other truth that we may hear. We want to embrace the truth of God's word. You know, that pluralistic view of the truth, it fails to distinguish the difference between opinions and truth. Truth doesn't care about your feelings or your opinions. Truth is the truth. Why is truth so offensive to some? Well, they will say, you know, absolute truth. If you say uh, you have absolute truth, well, you're, you're narrow-minded and intolerant. You know, truth, by its very nature, is narrow-minded and intolerant. Two plus two equals four. Who would argue with that? Am I being intolerant to say that that is a fact? Would a teacher standing in the front of the classroom that made that same claim, would he be intolerant? Of course not. The truth is the truth. It doesn't make exceptions for other truths. What did Jesus say concerning salvation and eternal life? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way, or a truth, or a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. Tells us there's no other name under heaven whereby man must be saved. Absolute truth is absolutely exclusive. It's not inclusive. It's very exclusive. 
Jesus is the only way. You know, the answer to 2 plus 2 is 4. Any other answer would be correct. And when it comes to eternal life and being saved, any other answer other than Jesus Christ is the wrong answer. What made Christ's truth claim valid? Based that on one historical fact, that is the fact of the resurrection. And that isn't a historical fact, that is an absolute truth. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, just as he said he would, he validated every other claim to be uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And it's the same today, there is only one way to get to heaven, that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. You must be born again. There's no other way, no other alternative. Some would say, well, all that matters is if you're sincere in what you believe. Well, again, somebody said, truth is immune to sincerity, belief, or desire. I can sincerely believe that I'm six feet, five inches tall. I'm not going to fool anybody. And I'm not going to fool myself. It doesn't change the facts. You know, there's a group that still believes that the earth is flat. It's a small group, but they're out there. They even identify themselves as the Flat Earth Society. In spite of all the empirical evidence, the scientific data, the satellite images, they'll still hold to that fact that the earth is flat. They're sincere, they're just sincerely wrong. You know, there are people that sincerely believe they're going to heaven. I had a man tell me one time at work, he says, I don't cheat on my wife. I pay my taxes, and I'm a good neighbor. And he thought that was all that was required. There was a lot of other sin in that man's life. And the fact is, it doesn't matter how good you may think you are on your own. And you may be a good person, but unless you're born again, unless your sins have been forgiven, you are not going to inherit eternal life. So sincerity really has nothing to do with the truth. Why is absolute truth so important? Life has consequences for being wrong. You know what? If you gave somebody too much medication or the wrong kind of medication, you could harm them or even kill them. Bad investments can turn out to cause financial ruin. You know, if you turn down a one-way street the wrong way, there's consequences for that. I think it's something one Christian apologist said. He says, the fact is, the truth matters, especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. And nowhere is this more important than in the area of faith and religion. Eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong. You know, God is truth. God's word is absolute truth, and God wants us to know the truth. Even though... Christ's truth claim is absolutely exclusive. There's only one way to get to heaven. The invitation to know the truth is all-inclusive. Jesus says, Whosoever cometh unto me, uh, in no wise I will no wise cast out. He says, uh, it's for the whosoever will. So the invitation to know the truth is open to all. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all 
to be testified in due time. God wants all men to come to that knowledge of the truth. The Word of God says it's not as well that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That is God's desire for every one of us to come to the truth. The Word of God tells us if we accept it, it says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the Son sets free is free indeed. You know, I, I love testimonies. I was thinking about the testimony of Brother Charles Rodman. You know, if knowledge and education could gain you entrance into heaven, he would have been there. Grew up in church, grew up in Sunday school, joined the church at a young age, decided at 16 he was going to study for the ministry because he believed God's word was true. He accepted the truth in his mind. So he spent 16 years at Princeton University, very prestigious college, said he majored in Greek and Hebrew. The man was brilliant. He said he studied with the best instructors, and I came home with three degrees. And he had an idea of what it was like to be a Christian in his mind. After that, he was given a pastorate in the state of Washington. And he says, I would try to point others to the way of eternal life, but on Sunday mornings I faced my congregation knowing that I had fallen short of keeping the commandments and precepts of God's word, Though I preached the Bible standard for Christians, I failed to measure up to it. You see, he had a head knowledge of the truth, but he didn't possess the truth. He knew about the truth, and he became disillusioned. The more he tried, it said, like, he said, the more he tried, as time went on, instead of becoming more like Jesus, he said, I drifted further and further away. I became more like the world. He became so cynical at one point, he thought of it as going to give up altogether. Thought there's nothing to religion. Sometime later, his church sent him to the city of Portland, Oregon. He was in Seattle at the time, and they were having this good citizens convention. And the whole effort was to get all these academics together and teach men how to be better citizens. He said great issues were discussed, including social conditions and needed reforms. A great deal of learning was displayed in that convention but not once did I hear mentioned an adequate remedy for the disease of sin which they had so thoroughly diagnosed. He was discouraged. He said, finally, one day before the convention ended, he decided to take a walk. And he went downtown Portland there just strolling around. And he happened to come upon a street meeting. Some young men from the church were holding. He said he heard men stand to their feet and tell about how Jesus Christ had delivered him from sin set him free. He said when they repented, the Lord broke ch- chains and habits that had them bound for years, and he helped them to live as honorable men and as productive citizens of society. He says right then and there, something resonated in his heart. He said, I recognize those men had found the solution to the problem that the educated men at the conference had failed to find. The solution had not come through great learning, legislation, reform, or any other thing, but through the transforming power of God. He followed those people to the church. He came. He knelt on his knees. He prayed. He repented of his sins. He said he didn't receive the witness there on his knees. But later that evening, he was walking back to his motel. He says the peace of God came over him, flooded his soul, and he knew the Lord had saved him and delivered him. He said, I knew I found the truth. Transformed his life. He says that one prayer wrought in his in his life, what years of trying and learning had failed to do, he met Jesus Christ. 
Five days later, he prayed through to an experience of sanctification. Two days after that, the Lord filled him with the Holy Spirit, and God used him the rest of his life uh, to work for the Lord. He discovered the truth in the gospel. He had more than a head knowledge. He had a heart knowledge. He embraced the truth. That's the same knowledge of the truth that Christ wants us to have today. You know, the truth purifies us. Jesus himself said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word purifies us. Here's another absolute truth. In John, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. That is an absolute truth. Jesus Christ is coming again. The fact that we haven't seen it yet does not minimize the truth of that statement in any way. It's absolutely true. It will come to pass. The Bible also tells us that the Lord is coming for a pure, spotless, holy bride, those that have been saved and washed in the blood of Jesus. My question to you this morning, are you saved? Or are you just trying to convince yourself you're good enough on your own? Not good enough, but the Lord can save you. You can drop that knowledge of your sins forgiven. Are you sanctified? Are you purified? Are you a vessel the Lord can use? God wants to sanctify you. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? You know, sometimes we need to get honest with ourselves. Maybe we haven't faced things that are hindering us from our walk with the Lord, but if you'll do that, God will bless you. You'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I thought of one other truth in God's Word. You know, the cost of discipleship has never changed. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if any man would be my disciple, let him first deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Have you been doing that? Are you denying yourself? Are you taking up your cross? Are you following the Lord with all your heart? Are you giving Him your best? Or are there things maybe you're holding back from the Lord? You know the Lord, you can know the truth, and the truth can make you free this very morning. If you're not saved, God can set you free. He can give you that peace of heaven down in your heart. God can help you. God can help you to walk in spirit and in truth. These altars are open. The song is 480. Let's come and pray.